Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. 313. It's a year that every Christian should be aware of or be aware of its importance for the Christian church. It was arguably the best and the worst thing that ever happened to the Christian church in that year. In 313, the Edict of Milan was issued. It was a letter penned by Constantine, essentially legalizing Christianity throughout the Roman Empire, ending centuries of occasional and localized persecution, and allowing Christians to get their property back which in many cases was their own church buildings. Christians now had the blessing of the state to thrive, and that would pave the way for virtually all of what we call the Western world to fall under the banner of Christianity. Actually, it was in the year 380 that another huge step in that direction would be taken when Christianity became not just one tolerated religion within the empire, but the official religion of the empire. Paganism was outlawed. It was now on the outside looking in. And from then on, I have to say, Christians were as ugly to pagans as pagans had been to Christians. Pagan rituals were seen as acts of treason, and oracles and temples were destroyed. The powerless, you see, had become the powerful. The victims had become the aggressor, and the persecuted had become the persecutor. But I said that the Edict of Milan, which kind of began that process, it was maybe the best and the worst thing that ever happened to the Christian church? Well, why could you say that? Well, of course, it brought an end to needless and bloody persecution to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a good thing. Generally, if you can avoid being eaten alive by a lion, that would be a good thing. 
But it paved the way for the total normalization of Christianity that in many ways made this empirical religion very different from the apostolic faith that we hear about in the New Testament. Whereas the apostles preached about a gospel that freed men and women from their sins, and whereas men and women would sacrificially and freely come to faith in Christ as a result of that preaching, now Christianity began to be institutionalized. When it becomes illegal not to be a Christian, there are going to be many false conversions. When, um, and, and then when whole cities and towns become Christian, more or less overnight, you can bet that many who claim Christ do not know him at all. Something similar happened at the time of the Reformation, where whole areas would become Lutheran, uh, because the prince became Lutheran, perhaps for political reasons, but there wasn't a real strong conviction of what was going on then either. Now, I say all of that because if you hear in the words of our Lord today, he, he talks about the way that Christians really are to actually and truly move the world and to live out their faith. It is not by government decrees. In fact, positive government decrees may hinder the church, and negative government decrees may help. Rather, Jesus talks about how we are to be salt and light. That is how Christians go about the task of infiltrating the culture and impacting a neighborhood and saving a family. Let's consider salt. I know I preached on this a little before, so at the risk of being repetitive, we should remember, of course, the extreme importance of salt in the ancient world. It's where we get the word salary from, because salt was so valuable, it was more valuable than the currency floating around in some places at the time. Of course, it preserved food. Food could last longer, and it made food taste better as well. To be salt, then, is to be valuable, to preserve, to deepen our joy because it enriches food. And, you know, experiencing good food is one of the joys in life. That's okay. And yet, all of that is sort of done unseen because when salt does its work, it dissolves. It sort of disappears into whatever it is it's curing or you're eating. It's sort of lost, and yet without food, it wouldn't be very good. Without it, rather, food wouldn't be very good. Light is maybe harder to speak to. You've already heard a good children's sermon about it, and I I couldn't say it better. In past times, of course, we we forget maybe how valuable light might have been, because we're surrounded by it now, obviously. But in the past, you either had to burn valuable oil to have light or hustle to get everything done while the sun was still up. To be described as light, then, again, it means we're offering something valuable to the world. We're helping others to see things clearly. We bring light to the world, and given the fear that might come in the darkness, that means we're bringing hope into the world, positivity even. We're of service to others. Salt and light, they're both hard to describe, 
right? I couldn't give you ten ways to be salt and light. That would do a dishonor to what Jesus is saying. But I think that in general you know it when you see it. In general, salt and light are are lived out through the Christian virtues that we should all know. In fact, again, the children's sermon explained this really well. What are those Christian virtues? To be kind, to be helpful, to be merciful, to be charitable, to be hopeful, and many more. To be salt and light, it's easier to point out than to predict. It's easier to see it in action than to predict it ahead of time. To be salt and light are are things we do in the moment, probably as habits. We probably won't even be aware that we're doing it when we're doing it. But rather, that's why we have the disciplines and the virtues of our faith, so that when the time comes, we will be salt and light to the world. It might be easier to identify when salt and light in the world are are not present, when there is no joy, no hope, uh, no sense that things can get better, no sense that things can change. I do a radio show at a, a very secular radio station, and that station has been on the decline for years, and every time they try to raise money, it gets harder and harder, and it takes longer and longer to raise the amount of money needed to keep going. And yet the content is, I have to say, almost always negative. Uh, Other people are always being blamed. It's sort of hopeless. The world is always kind of described as a, a terrible place. Things are always a disaster. Things have never been worse. Who would want to listen to that? What's being revealed is the fact that within the worldview of most of the hosts, there isn't a lot of light. We do a Christian show, so we're trying to do our best to bring light to that environment, to anyone who might be listening. Clearly, Jesus associates salt and light as good works. Uh Uh-oh, you're not supposed to talk about good works from a Lutheran pulpit, they say in preaching class. Well, Jesus did. These are the words that we repeat at every baptism as we hand that burning candle to the mother or father. And for the record, you can blow it out as soon as the baptism is over. So, uh, But Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. While we're not saved by our good works, a necessary corrective, thank you, Reformation. We ought to do them. And we do them in a way so that other people can see them. What do we do with the light? Do we hide it under a bushel? I'm asking our three-year-olds, right? Uh, No, we put it on the lampstand so it provides light for the whole household. Those good works... All of the good works we do, again, as a matter of habit, as a matter of our virtues, these are salt and light. God is not found in the rising of empires. That's why I talked about the years 313 and the years 380. Blessings to the Christian church in in many ways, in some ways, but curses as well. 
God is not found in mighty men or victorious armies. God is not found even in what we call Christendom, that time when the Western world was all Christian. But was it really? Netflix just put out a a movie called The King. It's kind of a remake of Shakespeare's Henry V. And it tells the story of this young English king who uh, goes on to fight a critical battle, the Battle of Argencourt. I'm sure I pronounced that incorrectly. Um, But here you have a Christian empire going to war with another Christian empire. Christians locked in battle, arm in arm. And for what? Was everything Jesus did in vain? Surely such battles and wars are avoidable. Well, what happens, of course, is that we forget. We forget the way that Jesus said we are to be followers of Christ in the world. We are to be salt and light, not to spread faith through conquest and destruction and empire building. I do not thank God enough for this vision. I don't. For the way that he has set before us Violence and empire, these are usually the ways that are considered methods of progress. But Jesus proposes something completely different, and we ought to thank him for that vision, for that difference. You and me and every other follower of his simply goes about our life, and we ask, in each vocation of ours, how can we be salt and light? to those around us, right here and right now. Isn't that a better way than trying to destroy our way to prosperity or joy? And by the way, because you're not supposed to preach about good works from the pulpit, the second half of this gospel lesson, well, Jesus, he says we need to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. Well, don't worry. Jesus has already lived that life for you. He has already lived a perfect life. His righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And you are given that righteousness. It's called imputed righteousness. You are given that righteousness upon faith in Christ. So you are off the hook. You do not need to do those good works because God needs them but your neighbor does. So be bold in being salt and light. Amen. Amen.